Welcome, everybody, to Chelsea Miked Up. Look, we got a massive guest this week. Pikayo Tamori makes his Chelsea Miked Up debut. We'll ask him the question on everybody's mind. Why did he decide to stay at Chelsea FC and fight for his place in the squad? We will get to that with him. We promise you. We will also preview this upcoming Southampton game, and we will celebrate the women's team for a smashing result, a 3-1 victory. Massive week here on Chelsea Miked Up. Let's get right into it. Vamos. Chris, Chelsea Chatter, exacto. Oh, man. 3-1, 3-1. Now, did I say 4-1 on that week's episode of Chelsea Miked Up? You bet your bottom dollar. That's just getting another lottery ticket as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> 3-1, a dominant performance from Chelsea's women's team. Chris, this team is coming together. That is a potent attack. So many options for Emma Hayes. It is terrifying. They can really overwhelm teams. Manchester City is a damn good side and a massive 3-1 result. It's a basically a six-pointer anytime you go up against one of those top four teams. Chelsea, they right the ship because it was a bit of a slow start. Sam Kerr now all of a sudden looking like a playmaker. We probably, unfairly to her, Thought she was just this goal scorer. I did not know, just based off the World Cup that I saw her, and what a tremendous playmaker she is. Emma Hayes has his side cooking. Well, for me, the interesting thing is the amount of attacking talent that Chelsea have. To fit it all into one team seems very difficult, while also maintaining a balance. And for me, it was that balance that was the most impressive part of this. They're pressing high up the pitch. They're defending pretty well. It was, you know, one handball that, that led to the Man City goal. And uh, for me, just the, the balance that they have in the press, when they're playing Kerr and Harder up top, Cuthbert and Kirby off the wings with G and loophole to midfield. Like, that's so much attacking in one team. And the fact they're able to maintain that balance and really get after City from a defensive point of view was fantastic. It's an embarrassment of riches. Emma Hayes found a way to get all that talent, basically, into the starting lineup. And I know what a fan of G you are. She's an absolute OG. Your favorite player in the world <laughs> right now. A, a, a tremendous buildup that starts with a goalkeeper throw. Chris! Right. Oh, I, I, you never see the goalkeeper start a buildup with a throw. Amazing job by the Chelsea women's team. And now they are back in the title race, such that they were. You can't really be out of it when you drop one disappointing result, I guess. But they are a team that can control their own destiny. They play all these teams head-to-head. We still got our eyes on the treble. They're still alive in the uh, the women's version of the Carabao, the League Cup. <laughs> so we can have the dream of a treble-winning season. Champions League, the league, and uh, it's not the Carabao, but I still care about it. The League Cup. So Chelsea, despite dropping uh, a really disappointing result against Everton's women's side, they are looking to get some more hardware to add to that community shield. Very happy and really excited to see how this team continues to get better. Because you see now, like, oh... This might be one of the greatest women's sides in Europe because as more money comes into that European game, you can still punch above expected weight classes, I guess, for Chelsea FC. Remember, this is a team that brought in some of the most expensive players in the world. You can have a, an historic side here with Chelsea women's team if they continue to improve match over match, and that's what we're seeing out of Emma Hayes' side. And it's exactly the weight that Chelsea want to be punching at. Emma Hayes talked to us and has talked before about the Champions League being a stated aim for the club. If you want to beat Lyon in the Champions League, which is really hard, you have to field a side with some of the very best players in the world at every position. That's exactly what Chelsea are doing right now. But I still even think, yeah, they won the game by three goals to one. 
But Sam Kerr still had some moments that she could have put away. The, the, the finishing can still be more clinical. I think the overall flow between the attacking players is getting better, but still has a ton of room for improvement. Chelsea, unfortunately, have a long break here because they're not playing this weekend. Aston Villa, their opponent, has a coronavirus case in the camp, so their next two games are going to be postponed, and there's an international break. So Chelsea have a lot of time on the training ground, presumably, over the next couple of weeks to continue to further build that team pattern of play. And the forgotten name, although it's a miraculous comeback for the player, Fran Kirby, Mm -hmm. back and better than ever. And Emma Hayes calls her the most talented attacking player in the game right now. Hard to dispute that when you have Sam Kerr and Harder and England and and Cuthbert, you obviously grab headlines there with players that, that put the ball in the back of the net. But Fran Kirby is as important to this attack as any player. And to see that Fran Kirby back after the, the health scare that she had last year, truly a welcome sight and a pleasure watching this Chelsea women's team right now. There are so many players on the side that you can highlight and say they were phenomenal in this match. Just a tremendous team effort. Let's get to the international break. That's right, it's finally over. And we always dread these international breaks out of fear that someone's going to get injured. And Golo Conte season never really got off the ground last year. And there was disputes between the French Football Federation and Frank Lampard. And Golo Conte stays healthy. But Edouard Mendy gets hurt, gets sent back home. And now he is a doubt for this Southampton game. Good to see Kepa, by the way, get a clean sheet. Build up that confidence on the international level. What is the damage from... This most recent international break, Chris Whittingham. Well, there was a scare at the beginning of it because Timo Werner had flu-like symptoms at the beginning of his time with Germany, but was tested a, a numerous times for COVID. Everything is good there, so he was allowed to play in their 3-3 draw against Switzerland, in which he scored, as did Kai Havertz. But in terms of the damage, it really is only Edouard Mendy. I think Chelsea couldn't have dreamt of a more positive scenario uh, as it relates Hakim Ziyech. He played 30 minutes on as a sub for Morocco and then was immediately sent back before they played their second friendly there with a view towards maybe him getting getting his Chelsea debut in the Premier League against Southampton. Uh, I guess the other minor one was Ben Chilwell. He goes to England. Obviously, there was a situation with him, Tammy Abraham, and Jaden Sancho. Then England, out of an abundance of precaution with that foot-slash-heel injury, uh, sent him back to Chelsea. So uh, curious what his health status is. But in terms of a number of injuries, we didn't really see that many. And a couple of positive impacts as well. You mentioned the Kepa clean sheet. Mason Mount scoring a winning goal against the number one team in the world in Belgium. Some cool moments as well for Chelsea players on international break. Yeah, Mason Mount's game is uh, a bit of a controversial one because the end product is not quite there. Even on that goal, he got a a bit of a lucky deflection. But I think what we really need to pay attention to with Mason Mount is how much his managers stand by what he does. Mason Mount's game, that high press, that motor, that effort, do everything that the manager asks for you to do. It's one thing to maybe not be a polished finisher just yet. You can improve on that. You never doubt that Mason Mount's going to put the work in just by his game on the field. His managers stand by him. So Mason Mount, a really good international break. Reese James makes his debut. The Germany game, for me, was the one to watch, though, if you were a Chelsea fan. I thought Havertz and Werner were sensational in this match. little disappointing seeing Rudiger. Obviously, the player has not been able to find a rhythm because he's been left out of the team here at Chelsea. Two bad errors for Rudiger on the international level. But where there's a Rudiger door closing, there is a Kepa door opening. And if you find yourself turning to Kepa because of Mendy's injury against Southampton, you could do a hell of a lot worse than him entering that match off a clean sheet. It's been a while for Kepa. It's good to see him get some of that confidence and maybe Chelsea benefit from it if they have to turn 
to the Spaniard. And it's not just getting a clean sheet. It's what he also outwardly said. He gave this quote uh, to the Spanish press saying, quote, I feel good, strong, and confident. Maybe not the dream and expected situation, probably to be an understatement. Uh, we have to experience this like this during our, our career as footballers. I need to carry on working calmly. I am confident to turn the situation around. Now, these are words, right? And ultimately, that confidence is projected by how you play. So I'll be curious to see. He'll, he might get an opportunity in this game against Southampton with Mendy injured, how he looks in terms of projecting that confidence and if he really can uh, rebound here. Because people say, you, and Lampard even said, you bring in Mendy as competition, and then he immediately goes straight into the team and then it doesn't feel like competition anymore. But this is where a competition could potentially brew is if he comes back and plays well as a response to Chelsea perhaps signing his replacement. I want to circle back to that German match real quick because Kai Havertz looks every bit of the special player. I know we probably haven't quite seen that yet on the Premier League stage. He added a a carabao for the ages with that hat (laughs) trick, but Kai Havertz obviously looks like a very special player, and it's good to see when he goes on international duty, he can continue to grow that relationship that he has with Timo Werner on the pitch. They were dynamic. They played well off of each other in that match, and Kai Havertz looks like the special talent that he was sold to be at that number 10 role to be a potent goal-scoring threat. He did give voice to an acclimation period that he's undergoing right now at Chelsea. The Premier League is a bit different from the Bundesliga. He said as much. Not that they're struggling with that. I think they're just struggling that it exists to the level that it does because Bundesliga is a bit more free-flowing. I just have it reinforced that the more Kai Havertz plays the better he is going to be. That's not a hot take. He needs to get comfortable. This week will be a bit of a challenge because it looks like new players are entering that starting 11. Ziyech and Pulisic seem ready to go. They're fresh. Pulisic didn't even have an international break, so he's fresh as a daisy ready to enter this. So even though this is the starting 11 we were hoping to see all season long, you have to keep in mind they haven't had a lot of time at training, so there might be some hiccups early on as they continue to gel. This is built over time, this chemistry. It's one thing for Kai Havertz to have a different starting 11 when he's been with the squad for three years and he knows exactly what he's capable of because he's played with that teammate, even though it's not a a starting 11 player, he's played with that teammate on the training ground several years. Every time it seems that Kai Havertz steps out onto a pitch for Chelsea, he's got a different lineup that he's got to grow accustomed to. So we're hoping this is a start of a run of some cohesion with Chelsea as they line up against Southampton, which has obviously one of the more talented goal scorers in the Premier League, someone that'll test that back line. We'll see if Ben Chilwell is a part of it. And if it's Kepa or if it's Mendy or even if it's Caballero, who knows? I have no idea who's starting between the six against Southampton. They are going to be tested in ways that they weren't tested against a really listless Crystal Palace that gave up one of the worst efforts that we've seen in the Premier League. This should be a true test. All right, let's go to the headliner here. We have a big interview with Fikayo Tomori. Obviously, as soon as the news went down that he wasn't going to West Ham, we all wanted to talk to Fikayo Tomori. Thank you to our partners. We are the official Chelsea podcast. They made that happen for us. Fikayo Tomori making his Chelsea mic'd up debut. We're going to ask him the question that's on everybody's mind. Why did you decide to stay with Chelsea, even though it's a bit of a logjam at your position? Why are you fighting for your position He will join us next and tell us. Get the latest Chelsea news straight to your phone. Download the Fifth Stand app, the official Chelsea app. Joined now by Fikayo Tomori, center back for your Chelsea FC. This is a real thrill for us here on Chelsea Mic'd Up. 
you're probably sick of being asked about it, but I got to get this out of the way for our audience because it was a fascinating decision on your part. The decision to not go to West Ham on loan and stay at Chelsea and fight for your playing time. How did that come about? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I had a plan going into um, this season, going off the back of last season. And um, obviously in football, things change so quickly. So, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure that whatever decision I made was really thought out and, um, you know, try and do what's best for me. And um, other that stuff happens. But, um, yeah, I made the decision in the end to stay and um, to improve more, try and get in the team, play some games, gain some more experience. And, um, yeah, try and um, get back to the levels I was last season. I'm very curious as to how a loan move goes down because it was reported that you were the one that turned this down and, and the clubs had worked out the details how do you find out about this? Yeah, I mean, I, I tried as much as I can to, um, as I said, do what was best for me. And the way transfers are, um, you know, some some days it's up here and you have, you know, you feel like it's all rolling. And then sometimes it's, you know, nothing's happening at all. And you've just got to kind of do the situation you're put in. And um, yeah, for me, uh, it was very much, um, you know, as I said, I wanted everything to be thought out. And I thought about what was happening and, you um, you know, especially um, you know when we had the the few weeks off and leading up in, um, leading up into the season, um, the small preseason that we had, I was very talking a lot with my with my agent and the club, trying to clarify and get some clarity on what was going on. And um, yeah, transfers. Uh, I think for me personally, I'd, I'd prefer if it wasn't last minute. Um, you know, but as I said, stuff happens and um, you know situations happen where you have to make a decision quickly. And um, yeah, in this instance, it was one of those situations. Um, and as I said, yeah, as you all know, I, I made a decision to stay. And when you tell Frank Lampard, when you tell uh, the club hierarchy that you want to stay, what what was their reaction? I imagine uh, Frank was probably pleased that you wanted to fight for your place in the squad. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it was it was it was sort of like that. I mean, he knows that you know there's a big squad here, and um, it is definitely a. Uh, a competitive squad, more competitive last year. You know, we've watched him some um, some amazing players, and um, yeah, I'm sure that uh, you know the manager is looking forward to working with every single player and trying to get us to gel as much as we can, and um, yeah, try and get results on the board and you know close that gap to the top of the table. Now that you're staying in the team, I want to ask you about some of the competition you have at centre back now, and specifically Thiago Silva. He's obviously done so much in the game and is in such command of the position. What's it like working with him and what can you learn from a player like him? Yeah, I mean, you can tell, you know, even though he doesn't speak a lot of English, but you can tell, um, you know, the way he drives himself and drives those around him, um, you know, on the training pitch and on the match days as well. Um, you know, you can see why, you know, he's reached the levels that he has. And um, even though I'm not able to communicate with him that well, I can watch what he does and you know, see how professional he is. You know, you always see him in the gym. Know, looking after his body and um, you know making sure that he's right for the games and um, you know yeah I'm sure that of course you know what he's done in the past you know is going to transfer into what, what he's doing here and I'm sure it's going to help all of us. When I was researching for this interview I was obviously looking at, at your past you're born in Canada and you had the chance to play for Canada you featured for them in a few youth sides but eventually I mean you've been in England for most of your life and you decided to play mm. uh, for the English national team that feels like the more difficult path there are more high quality center backs in England than there are in Canada you'd probably be yeah. you know first choice in Canada week in, in every international break. What ultimately, yeah. you, you seem to err on the side of going for big challenges. Is that kind of the way that, that you approach that decision too? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, I think that, you know, you have to be ambitious. And, um, you know, it, it was, um, you know, when I, when it came to making the decision to, to switch, you know, when I was younger, 
and it wasn't something I took lightly and it was something that I really did think about and um, even though you know I, I, I got called up to Canada first and then England called me up you know it wasn't just a switch like oh yeah okay I'm gonna go to, to Canada it was, I mean to England it was more very thought out and I thought you know maybe this this could be um this could be the pathway there could be a pathway for me here and um, you know obviously you know England is such a such a um, top national team that you know the competition is what brings out the best in every single person and I think that having that kind of aspiration to get to that you know team where you know, they're always going to be expected to do well in World Cups, expected to do well in European Championships. You know, having that pressure and that um that pressure to do well is something that I think that um I thrive in, thrive under. So um yeah, I think that uh going for the challenges, you know, you know the bigger the challenge, you know, the greater the reward. I guess so. Um yeah, that's that's um that's my that's my mentality. For it. You did play for Canada's youth player, and I'm curious what your relationship is. You were born there, but you moved to England at a very young age. What is your relationship with Canada? And it does feel like there was a moment, so Canada actually beat England in a youth match. You, I think, captained the side on that day by two goals to one. It kind of feels like in that moment, someone in the England camp must have gone, wait a second, he can play for us. Why is he playing for them? Uh, What's kind of your relationship with Canada, and how often have you been back? Obviously, now in in COVID times, it's difficult to imagine that happening anytime soon, but what is your relationship with the, the country in which you were born yeah i mean um you know from when i was born to maybe up until i was about maybe 15 16 um up until i was you know full-time football um mm-hmm. you know my family and i used to go back every year we have a lot of family and friends there so every year we'd go to canada um you know see see family and friends go to places that we hadn't actually been to in canada before and um you know i, I feel even though i don't have an accent or anything like that but you know i still still feel like i'm canadian i feel like i have an affiliation there and um I never explored the country a lot. Since you decided to play for England over Canada, the Canadian national team looks a bit different, right? Alfonso Davies obviously soaring in a team that won the Champions League. A few other players are going over to teams in Europe. How have you experienced their growth as someone who nearly chose to play for them? Yeah, for sure. I mean, when when I first joined the the Canada youth system, um, you know, Alfonso was, what, 15? And, um, you know, I remember when he first got called up, uh, you know, there was a lot of people talking about him and um you know i got this 15 year old i was what 18 19 at the time something like that and um you know, we shared a room and uh and you know i was thinking oh sharing a room with 15 year old it was a bit weird and then you know when you when you got on the pitch and stuff you know you saw how good he was and then maybe a few years later three years later he's moving to Bayern munich and you know that was like wow so um you know i, I definitely you know know that it's getting bigger and you know football's getting a lot uh more competitive there, which is, which is good, obviously. And, um, you know, obviously I wish them all the best. I want to talk to you a little bit about your journey because it's fascinating. You were with the Chelsea Academy since you were seven years old. You came all the way through the system, winning FA Youth Cups and Academy Player of the Year. And now you've made that step across the road with the senior team. And we know what a big deal that is. Have you afforded yourself the opportunity to take a step back and really appreciate where you've made it to? Yeah, I mean... There's times where I do think, sit back and I think and think like, wow, you know, I've been here when I was seven and there were this many kids and then on the eights, on the nines, tens, elevens, off thirteen, all day through and you have so many players, you know, players that you see like you're thinking, wow, I didn't know there were people this good. And then for me to be, you know, in the position that I am now, um, you know, it's surreal and it's a dream because, you know, Chelsea is, you know, one of the best clubs in Europe, best clubs in England, you know, best clubs in the world. So... The fact that I'm here and I can say that I, I'm a Chelsea player is um it is a, it is a dream and um you know, as I said looking back and thinking about all the players that I've seen I've played with played against even um, later on down down the line and as you said some of them out of football some of them playing lower down the levels or wherever it may be 
know, the fact that I'm here is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a privilege and um, you know, I'm thankful. All right. We have to ask you about this. I want to talk to you about the world. Eve. That's been our goal of the year here on Chelsea Mic'd Up. Your first Premier League goal and end up being goal of the season, the strike against Wolves. Can you just take us through how that opened up for you? And what do you remember about that goal? Yeah, I mean, as the ball was coming to me, I just kind of thought, um, you know, I had to try and keep it on target, can make sure my foot is behind the ball. And I almost, in a way, played it safe um, in the sense that, you know, I didn't want to, you know, put my laces through the ball and it go, you know, sailing out the stadium. And, um, you know, the days before in training, Willie Caballero, I'm sure everyone's heard this. Um, you know, he was, um, he was teasing me and making fun of me, saying that, you know, I was lacing the ball and it was going over the net and stuff like that. So this one, as the ball rolled into me, I was just thinking, OK, I just had Willie's voice in my head. Decided to side for it and it just it just flew into the net and um, yeah from there we just that was just emotion that was just happiness so um, yeah that was that was great. Be honest, how, how many times have you watched it back since it happened? Oh, many many times, many <laughs> times, many times. I never get tired. Of it, never. <laughs> Every time it gets retweeted into your timeline, it's like I, I get just one more time, just one more time. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Tremendous. I want to ask about one thing before I let you go. So I was doing a bunch of research for this interview, and I had completely forgotten that this happened a few years ago. You actually broke Diego Costa's nose on the <laughs> training ground uh, with with yeah. an elbow. Uh, can you just describe like what happens in that moment? I imagine you're just sort of uh, in a training session, and this thing happens, and all of a sudden the star striker at Chelsea has a broken nose. He had to go, I think, to Milan to get a face mm -hmm. mask fitted. Uh, what was that moment like for you? I actually remember it, it was um, the, the, there was a shot and. Um, I was well, I was in the youth team at this point, under twenty threes, and there was a shot, and the ball went up in the air. The keeper saved it. The ball went up in the air. So he's trying to score, and I'm trying to head it that way. So I've won the header, and then he's headed the back of my head, and he's he was on the floor screaming, and I was kind of like, oh, I thought we just banged heads. I didn't know it was his nose. And then the next day, I went to school, <laughs> um, like my normal school, and um, you know, suddenly I was getting all these things on Twitter. People are sending me this newspaper thing saying, oh. The car tomorrow breaks so I did. Of course, I was, I was like, <laughs> and the first thing that went to mind is that I broke his nose. I, I didn't know I broke his nose, and then I was thinking, how did they know it was me? <laughs> so yeah. it, was, it was so confusing. And obviously, you know, uh, back then I was what maybe 16, 17. So I was a bit like, oh, I hope that this doesn't, you know, <laughs> it doesn't reflect negatively on me. But um, yeah, obviously it was a total accident, and um, yeah, it's just it's something that um, I think I will always be around me somewhere. <laughs> Such a brilliant story. Fikayo, thank you so much for joining us here on Chelsea Mic'd Up. Really excited to see you stay and compete and fight with the club for this season, and hopefully you'll have plenty of on-field success, and Chelsea will also have plenty of on-field success. Appreciate you coming on. Hopefully so. Thank you. Hi, this is Ashley Cole. You're listening to Chelsea Mic'd Up. Thank you so much once again to Chelsea for making that happen for us here on Chelsea Mic'd Up. Back-to-back -back weeks with massive gets here in Emma Hayes, the manager of the women's side, and Fikayo Tomori, a newsmaker for Chelsea. We expect more big names here on the official podcast, so thank you so much. Chris, Chelsea now are well-positioned. The schedule makers were kind of Chelsea as they had this acclimation period. Now you get CP10 in there. All signs point to him starting. Got very excited when I saw on the Instagram story of him and Hakeem Ziyech in the same frame. This is what we were all hoping for. I'm I'm super excited for this. It may not be a, a, a match featuring two top six clubs right now, but this is a sound test. Southampton were very good after the restart. Had a little trouble getting going, but now that it seems as though they have found their goal-scoring form. And Danny Ings... I, how can you not respect this player? If this were the old days of the Premier League, and by that I say maybe five, ten years ago, Danny Ings is not still at Southampton. 
He is such a quality player. He's found his way into the national team. Well-deserved on his part. Scary. The guy scores every match. It's interesting with Ings because he already got, he, he was great at Burnley, got the move to Liverpool, and was kind of a washout at Liverpool. So does a big club go for him again? Or is a club like Southampton fortunate? And they get to keep a top-level Premier League goal scorer in their ranks because who is going to trust Danny Ings to be their lead center forward for a long period of time. But to me, the interesting thing with Southampton is their style of play and how they come up against big teams. So I thought for 45 minutes against the aforementioned Tottenham in their Premier League match earlier this year, they were the far better team. They're pressing him. They're getting after him. They scored a goal. They're up 1-0. And then Tottenham just kind of figured out, oh, we can just pop balls over them because they play with this really high line, this high pressing style. Harry Kane was amazing in that game and just playing balls to Sun over and over and over again. And is there going to be a similar counterattacking opportunity on for Chelsea here if Southampton really play play up to their style? Or do they maybe kind of bunker in similar to how they did back in December uh, when they beat Chelsea by two goals to nil? So I think the style here uh, will really dictate the game. And I'll be curious how Southampton approach it. There are many Chelsea fans right now that are maybe a little familiar with Hakeem Ziyech because what he did in the Champions League against Chelsea, and they certainly poured over YouTube highlights. But for a certain number of fans, this might be the first time they see Hakeem Ziyech in a Chelsea kit. I'm not sure how many people saw that Brighton friendly on the fist stand app, the official Chelsea <laughs> app. So what can we expect from this player? Because you and I are both a fan of his service. He's very creative. He's called the Moroccan magician and the Wizard of West London for a reason. How does he fit in with this squad? Because pinpoint accuracy on his first cross with Chelsea. Callum Hudson-Odoi probably should have scored. It was such a poor attempt that he actually ends up getting a cheap assist that he regretted to celebrate, but <laughs> Timo Werner immediately scores, and Hakeem Ziyech is the reason why that happens. Chelsea at times, especially last year, they struggled from a service perspective. This is a top-of-the-line server of the ball in the Premier League, right? And I think it's it's not even just the, the service in wide areas through the air. It's the through balls. It's the passes on the ground. I think, as you mentioned, when Chelsea were coming up against teams that were defending deep, they needed that moment of creativity, that moment of magic. And I think Ziyech is a player who's capable of summoning it. That's kind of how he approaches the game. I'm curious to see a number of things about his debut, if it is indeed against Southampton this weekend, how he combines with other players, how he combines with, let's say, Reese James bombing on behind him and he can slide him in and it allows him the option to either cut inside onto his left or play Reese down the right. Uh, whether he is a player who's going to be sending in a lot of aerial service, whether he's going to be taking a lot of corners and, and, and set pieces. There's a lot of things for me uh, yet to be determined, but what we saw with him at Ajax was he just has that creativity. He's always thinking about how to split a defense and, and, and how to create that moment when you're, when you're up against deep teams, and I think that that's an element that was missing last year, and I'll be curious how he's different than Callum Hudson-Odoi in that regard. From an attacking perspective, you got to be giddy if you're Frank Lampard, because now you have just so many options. How am I going to attack this week's opponent? Do I hit him on the right with Reese James and Akeem Ziyech? Do I go on the left with Ben Chilwell and Christian Pulisic? Do I take a more direct approach? Or do I just have, you know, Jorginho continue his, uh, his silver boot campaign because someone's <laughs> wrecking havoc? Probably Christian Pulisic in the box. One of the things I'm really excited to see about, because they're wing players, you don't necessarily think connection to connection. I think when we're thinking about uh, Hakeem Ziyech connecting on a cross or a through ball, it's to Timo Werner, who's finally going to be playing, presumably, at that center forward role. Remember, he's been a left winger in the absence of Christian Pulisic, and maybe that might help explain some of the goal struggles, such that they are. 
for Timo Werner. But I'm really fascinated to see how Christian Pulisic plays off of Ziyech on the other wing. When we talk about Christian Pulisic, his instincts jump out. When we spoke to Greg Berhalter, he thinks he's a tremendously instinctual player. It jumps off the screen. When Chelsea were looking for goals and Christian Pulisic seemed to be the only way that they could get them, he was always in the right spot. Now put him always in the right spot with class service. I am very excited to see how these two in particular play off each other. And as you say, it might not even necessarily be intentional, right? It's not Ziyech is looking to pick out Pulisic, although there were times where that might happen. It's more he plays a low ball through the area, and Pulisic is always going to make a back post run. Pulisic is going to be drifting into central areas as well, allowing that opportunity with Chilwell down the left uh, to him have a bit more of a free roll, and you will see at times he plays the pass and then runs into the middle if Ziyech can pick him out from wide areas. I agree with you. I think there's a lot of kind of scraps for Christian Pulisic to pick up here that maybe weren't happening with previous wingers, with previous uh, styles of play. So I do think you're right that this combination can work really well. And we're coming off the international break too. So you don't know what the manager decides. Oh, do you have a slight knock there? How are your legs? So I don't know if we're going to see the true dream 11. And there's obviously question marks about Ben Chilwell's availability for this match. But I am curious to see what happens in the midfield. When you have players like Ziyech and Pulisic now out on the wings, does Mason Mount go back to that midfield? How does he pair with Jorginho, possibly? Is Kovacic now to the bench? What are the options here in the midfield? Because it's easier to predict what might happen in this game than what might Frank Lampard trot out there as a starting 11, especially coming off of an international break. You didn't even mention N'Golo Kante in there as well. I mean, there's a, a ton of options. And I read an article in The Athletic that basically said that Mason Mount, Chelsea, and England think that his position is as a number eight, right? Which is, we've seen him at times play as a number 10 a bit further advanced. So can you put him in with, you know, Conte and Havertz and have like a, a staggered three in yeah. the middle? I mean, th- I think that would be an ideal scenario for Lampard to get Mount into the team, but then you leave Jorginho out, you leave Kovacic out. So ultimately, Chelsea do have a, it's not a problem. It's actually one of the best things to have in football, which is a surplus of options. But Frank Lampard has to sort them out, not only for this game, but then you go straight into Champions League and you have just this flurry of fixtures. So in this one individual match, it might be tough. But remember, they play Saturday, 10 a.m. against uh, against Southampton, and then Tuesday, 3 p.m. against Sevilla, right? They're, they're off and running in the Champions League. So it is for me how you strike this balance constantly between wanting to get so many different players involved, how they all work off each other, and building out a combination play going forward that works when you have so many games in such quick succession. That's another reason you bring up Sevilla, why this starting 11 is going to be fascinating from Frank Lampard. Does Frank Lampard start Christian Pulisic in back-to-back matches, understanding that the player is fresh, or does he hold some players back because that's a massive match against Sevilla. That's a, the most difficult, the odds-on favorites to win this group. It's either Chelsea or Sevilla. These are the two most potent sides. So, right out the box, your biggest challenge in the group, according to many experts, how do you approach the game against Southampton with Sevilla in mind? What do you like coming into this Sevilla match right now? Because, really, I'm just excited for the game. I think that's going to be some really good action. Sevilla, obviously, a talented side. Ivan Rakitic back with Sevilla, a name that many people know. Um, Jesus Navas is also with Sevilla, a name that Premier League fans may be familiar with, and certain Manchester City fans, definitely not neutrals, might be familiar with. (laughs) What can you tell me about this Sevilla side? Because they've got some names. Usually, they're the feeder club, and now they're getting players sort of on the back end of their career, and it leads to an interesting side. You have some of the youth, 
you have some of those big transfer sales that they'll make down the line, but you also have some gritty, grizzled veterans that have won trophies and know all about the Sevilla way. I'm really excited for this match coming up in the Champions League. And they're really well managed by Julian Lopetegui. And I think right now they're competitive to be in towards that top three. They've only played uh, three games because they went so far in the Europa League. It's two wins and a draw. And and that draw was away at Barcelona. I mean, that's a really good result. Even if if Barcelona isn't as strong uh, as they've been in years previous, you can getting a result away from them with a Camp Nou is really difficult. So uh, I would say just in terms of players to watch in this game, Luke de Jong up top has been a really solid goal scorer for them. You know, features uh, occasionally in the Dutch national team as well. You mentioned Rakitic. Um, And then the young defender, Jules Conde, is a 21-year-old that I think you're going to see thrown around in the transfer rumor uh, in in earnest in in, in a couple of years' time because uh, he's really developing well as a young center back there. That's a difficult team to beat with a really big European pedigree. I mean, it's mostly in the Europa League, but they're still a tough team to play in champions as well. And as you said, this is the strongest side in this group. This is probably, I mean, away at Sevilla will be your most difficult fixture, but this is probably your second most difficult fixture. And I'll be really curious how they compete in this game and how, I mean, we see Spanish sides aren't afraid to go away from home and play their game. And so I do think it'll be kind of a bit more open than playing against your lower-level Premier League team. We'll see an honest test of how Chelsea can play their game against strong opposition. Well, I perked up a little bit because that kind of plays into Chelsea's hands. So a wide-open game is really to the benefit of this attacking Chelsea side, I think, because while Sevilla have a very good roster, every expert in the world will probably pick Chelsea's attack over Sevilla's. Chris, let's do our play predictor benchmark here because we got two matches this week to predict. I'm very excited, obviously, to see CP10 against Southampton. All signs are pointing to Pulisic's proper Premier League debut, his first start of the season. I'm going to give you my score prediction for Southampton, and then you go. Here it is. A Chelsea mic'd up special. I'm saying... 2-1 to Chelsea. (laughs) That's right. I'm sure many of you were trying to guess as to what the prediction will be. I think Ings gets on the board. I have question marks about who the keeper is going to be. Maybe I would go with a stronger result, but I think this one's nervy. And what you're hearing from me is international break Chelsea fan PTSD because they (laughs) always seem to struggle historically coming out of the international break. I think this one's kinder because Ziyech and Pulisic seem to fit and spry and ready for the challenge. This is different than most international breaks, but you have a situation where you have a lot of players playing with each other for the first time in a competitive match. So I think there's going to be some growing pains, but I expect Chelsea to come away with three points and a one-goal victory. I'm going to go for a wide-open Southampton game. I think they've played some crazy games this season. I think they're going to go away from home and try and play their high-pressing game, and I'm going to go for Chelsea 3, Southampton 2. What do you think we see in the midfield with that Mm. Southampton game? Because whatever we see in the midfield is going to have that Sevilla match in mind, I think. Sure. Uh, a lot of people are going to be drawing conclusions from this starting 11. You can't really do that off an international break and with Champions League coming up. I think you can always count on Mason Mount's effort, but I think Mason Mount finds his way as that number eight. We always say free-flowing number eight when we talk about, but how many free-flowing players can you have in the midfield? Someone's <laughs> going to have to do the defensive work, and that might be N'Golo Kante here. So we're going Havertz, Mount, Conte or does Jorginho? I mean, he's one of the leading scorers in the Premier League. Maybe you save Conte. I'm really fascinated to see what happens in the midfield, Chris. Yeah, and and Kovacic figures in in, in there as well. I think. See that I don't know if if that Mount is a number eight. It, it leaves a little bit of imbalance because he does like to venture forward, but. 
I don't know. I, I, it's a really good question. I would probably go for Conte, Kovacic, and Havertz as that midfield three coming out of the international break. Kovacic also playing as well for Croatia, so he he might not be totally fresh. But I, I do think Conte, Kovacic kind of offers uh, that, that good balance against a pressing team, right? Jorginho is not going to have a ton of time on the ball. He's not going to be able to dictate the game in, in kind of the way that you, you would be able to, like he did in the Palace game in that first half in particular. Um, so I think it'll probably be uh, Conte and Kovacic in that central midfield in this game against Southampton. We'll get to our predictions for the Sevilla match real quick, but I want to ask you if I'm going to put you in Frank Lampard's shoes right now. You have Pulisic and you have Ziyech. Successful international break. Nobody got hurt. Kind of hard for Christian Pulisic to do that without a game, but given his recent history, you're always afraid. You're always afraid. Maybe he sprains an ankle playing Fortnite. Who knows? But he did it. <laughs> you survived it. Do you dare play Ziyech and Pulisic in the same starting lineup in back-to-back matches considering the quick turnaround and the prior injuries that they had entering this match because I wouldn't be surprised if Frank Lampard goes with Pulisic and Ziyech against Southampton and those are not your wingers against Sevilla. It's a great shout and I think you obviously have Mount and you have Hudson-Odoi to kind of be that steady line of rotation. I think it does kind of depend on how well they play because we saw, I mean we came out of restart, we saw Pulisic come off the bench against Aston Villa in that first game and then he started playing so well that couldn't take him out of the lineup. And so if Pulisic comes out and looks like that guy, then I don't think that Frank Lampard's really going to give a great deal of mind. Now, I do wonder if maybe this injury does change the way that he approaches Pulisic over the long term and it's not going to play him in 9, 10 straight matches just because, you know, that injury history is such that you want to protect him a little bit. But if these guys come out and, and completely change the attacking dynamic for Chelsea and make them look like a potent team that's flowing from an attacking standpoint, then I do think that they will get a run of games. But I, I guess two games in four days is a lot. I think Pulisic is actually probably in a better place than Ziyech right now, even though Ziyech played 30 minutes for Morocco because, you know, Pulisic has had the full international break. Not just, he's focusing on training, right? And and being involved in his not traveling. He's just training really hard and fully uh, getting fit. So I think Pulisic has probably got a bit more in the tank right now, but I would doubt that, at the very least, that those guys play three matches in a week for sure. But two and four days is, is a tough ask. Yeah, so my prediction for the Sevilla game is that your wingers are going to be Kalamuts and Adoy, who probably deserves another start because he has some good performances here recently for Frank Lampard. I know there was the transfer drama, and Bayern Munich really wanted the player. Kalamuts and Adoy seems to be very happy at Chelsea, very content to fight for his playing time. I think you reward the player because he's given you good performances there on that right wing. And Timo Werner showing you that versatility. And I know this isn't optimal, but to keep players fresh and you have to navigate this Christian Pulisic thing very carefully. We know this. We're American. Be very careful with CP10. So I think Werner goes out to the left wing and maybe you see Tammy Abraham or Olivier Giroud. I think it's more of a Tammy Abraham game. And then you have the scoring punch of Christian Pulisic coming off the bench. You could, you could do a lot worse. Where are we going to get scoring off the bench? Christian Pulisic, probably, in that Sevilla match. My prediction for the match against Sevilla, this is going to come as a shocker to people. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. You're going to do it? I'm going to do it. 2-1 Chelsea. <laughs> 2-1 Chelsea at Sanford Bridge. I, I don't like I'm to put floored. myself out there, but 2-1. Yeah. I, it's a, a rare 2-1 prediction coming from me against Sevilla. Nearly fell out of my chair. I'm so stunned. Uh, I'll go for 1-1. I, I think Sevilla... Really good in Europe, away from home, 
They'll control portions of that game, and I think Chelsea fans might be surprised at how strong they are coming out, but I I think that's going to be a really close, entertaining game that finishes as a 1-1 draw. Keep in mind, I come out with Chelsea chatters right before each match, and I will no doubt change my prediction. I think for that Sevilla (laughs) match, depending on who the goalkeeper is, because that changes things a a little bit, I might take the over on that one. Just (laughs) My Chelsea chatter (laughs) prediction is take the over uh, for Sevilla-Chelsea. Chris, before we wrap up here, we have time for only one question here from our mailbag. Thanks again to Ad Chelsea FC in USA, a must-follow. Our good friend Jenny Chu has amazing videos there on a weekly basis. Make sure to check it out. Hit that follow button. Great supporters of what we do here on Chelsea Mic'd Up as official partners of Chelsea FC. What do we have in the mailbag this week? At the Cody Cavalry tweets, what random past Chelsea player do you miss the most? Ooh, on my show, Chris, on my day job with the Dan Levitard show on ESPN Radio, we do like classic 90s baseball players. Mm. And you would never really expect the joy that comes uh, across one's face when you just simply say Mike DeFelice, who was a random backup (laughs) catcher for the Tampa Bay Rays. So I'm just going to go with putting a smile on the face. I thought this player looked cool. It'll harken back to a time where Chelsea won the biggest club trophy there is. Raul Morelish. Oh. This guy looked cool. It was a great, it was a great winter window move. Brought him in, did dirty work, had great moments for the club, had the sweetest tattoo sleeve this side of Christian Pulisic on that Chelsea roster. I love those kits of 2012. They've aged beautifully. Raul Morelish, I'm trying to make you laugh because when's the last time you thought about this guy? I miss you. And a tremendous Portuguese pronunciation on Morelish. I try to make you happy there too. See, (laughs) I told you a smile would come across that face. You name a random Chelsea footballer that you miss. For me, the the most random one that always pops in my head whenever we're talking about random players is Loic Remy. And and his his big move from QPR, <laughs> uh, I, I I miss Loic Remy. I, I I wish that Chelsea had him as a fourth. Where is Loic Remy? Is he still playing? Loic Remy put every Chelsea fan's heart in their throats last year in the group stages of the Champions League. That's right, and Leo. So Lo- yeah, Loic Remy. Hats off to you, sir. I actually thought for what we brought him in to do, he did. Loic Remy, a good Chelsea player, a good contributor, I should say. Maybe not a good Chelsea player. Nobody (laughs) really remembers him for his on-field greatness for Chelsea. But nice. You made me smile, but you also made me like cringe a little bit at how scary (laughs) that was last year with his performance. Now, I will say, do you want to take a guess where he is now? There's only one place that he could be. Turkey. He's in Turkey. Tycor Rizespor. And of course, it ends in a sport. I've never heard of this club before, but of course, aging Premier League player has to be in Turkey. All right. Well, thanks to Chris Whittingham, the neutral observer. Thank you to you, the listener. Thank you for making the Chelsea Mic'd Up podcast a big one. We're growing year over year, each episode. Please help us out. We want to game the system. We need those reviews. Also, I found a disgusting review that really disappointed me. Don't do any of this because there was a review saying I like them until they started talking about the women's game. Let me tell you something right now. This podcast is always going to respect the Chelsea women's side. I was very disappointed. Keep that garbage out of the comments. It's fine. You don't need to make yourself a public j- Don't do that. Like you, you cannot like the women's game. That's fine. I don't understand the reason to shout it from a mountaintop. Don't do that. Don't want any of that. I want five stars and tell me how great my hair looks. That's all I want <laughs> on the on those podcast reviews. You're making yourself look like a damn fool. And if you want to cut out Chelsea women's football from your life, you're losing out because this is a winning side and they play tremendous football. And we're going to keep paying attention to that weekly here 
on Chelsea mic'd up. And I hope to get every single player off that starting 11, specifically because it makes this podcast better and it pisses you off. Good, sir. <laughs> and I say good day. <laughs> I say good day to you. Wow, some bile there uh, at the end of <laughs> like Chelsea it. mic'd up. Flowing. Well, I just I was I was soliciting ratings and reviews. And I saw that garbage there over the weekend. It made me so mad. I saw that literally as Chelsea were trouncing the runners-up in the league. I mean, they're such a good side. They are deserving of your attention. It's accessible now. Sit down, watch it. You might like something. And and it, 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 it's the club that you love, too. Like It's the it's same, same uniform. Kit. It's the same. We're pulling the same rope. We're a club of trophies. They're winning trophies year in and year out. You don't have to be so publicly ignorant. It's just beyond me. And they're great stories. Get to know some of these players. If you knew what Frank Kirby had to go through to just make it to a football pitch this season, if you read anything about it, you'd have immense respect for this player. You are missing out if you're not watching this women's side. I was just, let that's it out. random like anger. Let it, flow. let it out. Yeah, let it out. It's just ridiculous. Who has that attitude in 2020? Get that out of here. With that being said, up the chels. <laughs> 